Hello, and welcome to Loose Narrative, a celebration of camp and cinema. Each episode, we watch and dissect a cult classic film in order to determine what makes a movie truly and successfully campy. This week, we're discussing Break Into Electric Boogaloo from 1984. I'm your host, Christoph Pakula, and with me, as always, is my radiant co-host, Chris Lane. Hey, hey, ho, ho. Hi, Chris. Hello, Kristoff. How are you doing this week? I'm great. Um, the holiday season is upon us. I mean, that's why I started off with a ho, ho, ho. <laughs> How are you doing? I thought you were just in the in the pop and lock and spirit. Oh, well, they're that too. Yeah, it's in the spirit of the movie. No, wait, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah? I mean, we just watched Break Into Electric Boogaloo, and um, there's no way you can't be in a good mood after watching this movie. I mean, it's so inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> Those kids getting off the streets, I mean, break makes, dancing. Makes you want to help the community. <laughs> Miracles really do happen. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> All right, so clearly this week we watched Break Into Electric Boogaloo, and really it's a movie that lives up to its name. It's a ridiculous, campy name, and it's a ridiculous, campy movie. It makes me want to do the boogaloo, <laughs> especially when it's electric. Now, um, so as we always start off, I'm going to read the synopsis cold from imdb.com. That's right, cold as iced tea. Um, and it goes like this. A developer tries to bulldoze a community recreation center. The local breakdancers try to stop it. There you go. That's the synopsis. It's so simple. <laughs> so what simple. could be more complicated than that? To the point. <laughs> um, do you like that synopsis, Chris? I love it. Really? You know what? The podcast is over. Yeah. That's all we need. That's all you needed to say. <laughs> the, the narrative is not very loose on this one, let me tell you. <laughs> um, it's not a very complicated plot, and a part of that reason is because this movie came out December 21st, 1984. Late December, clearly they were going for some Oscar nods. I, I, I would say probably all of them, including Best Foreign Feature. <laughs> <laughs> Best Documentary. <Yeah. laughs> Um, this really did feel like a foreign film at times. It felt like the the whole movie was dubbed. <laughs> well, yeah, and actually it was. <laughs> um, and Breaking One came out in on May 4th, 1984. So the turnaround, it was enough of a success that they immediately commissioned a sequel, and the turnaround was fast enough that it came out within the same year as the first one. I think they even commissioned the second one before they released the first. Oh, really? That's supposedly. Okay. I mean, that's what I read somewhere. But, I mean, who knows if that's actually true? I would believe it. If it came from canon, which is who released this film through TriStar, that they probably just latched onto some idea and said... We should do two of them. I totally forgot this was a canon film. Oh, yeah. Um, and probably their only financially successful movie ever. I don't know. I mean, what about The Death Wishes? Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I, I really don't know if they, those were even financially successful. Yeah. But I think this one grossed like $15 million. Yeah. Which is surprising. Yeah. And it was, you know, breakdancing was the hot thing at the time. So it made sense. Wait, it was? It still is. 
<laughs> I don't know how to break this to you, but uh, the kids aren't really breakdancing in the streets anymore. Wait, I should cancel my breakdancing <laughs> classes? <laughs> I felt so inspired. I just signed up for a good old breakdancing class I mean, down the street. Everything is cyclical, so I'm sure it's about to make a comeback. I, I really hope it does, because I've got all my cardboard saved up. Just want to dance on that cardboard. <laughs> Don't throw out those Home Depot boxes. We got some dancing to do. That's right. All right. So we're already getting into it. I think it's time we dig into the nooks and crannies of this film's history. So let's pay a visit to Chris Lane's History Corner. Chris, do you have anything else interesting to tell us about the background of this movie? I mean, other than what we just discussed, I think one other important thing that I'm obsessed with that I discovered and it relates even back to our last episode, um, which was Nightmare on Elm Street 2. But this relates to Nightmare, to the original Nightmare on Elm Street, is that the house where one of our main characters, Turbo, Michael Chambers, where he's dancing and it spins around, that actually was a set piece from A Nightmare on Elm Street. And supposedly, and I couldn't find it, supposedly there's supposed to be some sort of homage to Freddy. Yeah, I, I mean, was keeping throughout, my eyes peeled. Throughout, we see homages to Freddy because everyone kind of looks like Freddy Krueger <laughs> in this movie. But there's supposed to be different like hats. references to Freddy Krueger. Yeah. But also, Michael Chambers was obsessed with Fred Astaire. Okay. And there is a dance sequence in Royal Wedding from 1951 where Fred Astaire is dancing on the ceiling. Oh, so they use that for the dancing on the ceiling sequence. Right. In this movie. But no reference to Lionel Richie. Oh, no. Dancing on the ceiling. They could have easily fit that in. I mean, I don't even know when that song came out. So Me probably either. it came out after. Maybe Lionel Richie was inspired by Michael Chambers, who was then inspired by Fred Astaire. So maybe dancing on the ceiling is an inspiration of an inspiration. And if it isn't clear, there is a dancing on the ceiling, like a sequence in this film where he literally dances on the ceiling. Um, and I thought it was just like such a great technical feat. It's, it's phenomenal. It's very visually impressive. All in one shot. Yeah. So, I mean, we can get into it when that moment happens in the plot, but I mean, it's... Well, I think that's just the perfect transition is because I think it's time for the meatiest part of our podcast, our probe into the plot, where we break down the narrative of the movie beat by beat. Now wait, do you believe in the beat? I believe in the beat. Mm, I the believe beat in the beat. <laughs> Speaking of which, we start the movie with the song Believe in the Beat by Carol Lynn Towns. And I would say this is a poor man's version of Gloria by Laura Branigan. It, it definitely is. <laughs> There's no other way to describe it. No, wait, are you calling the people in this movie poor? No, I would never. <laughs> um... So we start off with a montage, one of many montages. And if there's anything we've learned from our podcast so far, is that a campy movie loves a montage. Oh, I mean, I love a montage. <laughs> so this is a montage of boomboxes, um, you know, gyrating hands, questionable wrist accessories, whether it be a leather cuff or a dangly bracelet of some sort. Did you notice that some of the credits, because the main credits mm -hmm. feature some of the dancers, too. Did you did you see some of their names? Oh, of course, um, because our leads in this movie, aside from um, Lucinda Dickey, who plays Kelly, 
we have Shabadoo. Good old Shabadoo. Who plays Ozone. And then we have Boogaloo Shrimp. Mm-hmm. Who plays Turbo. And Boogaloo Shrimp is, of course, Michael Chambers. That's right. Um, and Shabadoo is... What is the actor's name? Adolfo Quinones. I mean, I just know him as Boogaloo. Shabadoo. Shabadoo. <laughs> it's Shabadoo. very confusing. So it's Shabadoo as Ozone and Boogaloo Shrimp, Shrimp. as Turbo. Tur- played by Michael Chambers. Correct. But he also goes by Boogaloo Shrimp. Uh, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> um, so, let's continue. Uh, the montage ends with a group of showgirls dancing, and we see our protagonist Kelly go off stage. Um, Kelly comes home to her rich parents' house, and her dad begs her to go back to Princeton. You know, stop this whole silly dancing business. Um, and Kelly has this lovely, like, 1984 mullet hairstyle. Similar to mine. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think it's very, it's very Midwestern mom. The 80s were a time where, like, every girl's hairstyle looked like she was a mom from Wisconsin. Oh, yes. <laughs> Why'd you mention my favorite state? <laughs> I mentioned your hairstyle. I mentioned your favorite state. Um, so Kelly's at home. Um, and she's very reminiscent of her friends, Ozone and Turbo, who we she met in the first film, Break-In. Now, you do not have to watch Break-In to enjoy this movie. Um, to be completely honest, I've seen Break-In. I don't really remember Break-In. This is the memorable one. I mean, I've never seen Break-In, and I feel like <laughs> I don't need to see it. No, not really. You get you get the the background you need. <laughs> I mean, it's like a reference to Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. You don't really need to see Valley exactly. of the Dolls to understand what's happening in Beyond the exactly. Valley of the Dolls. One of those rare sequels that's better than the original. Um, so we cut to Ozone and Turbo cleaning outside of the community center. Uh, Kelly shows up. No, they're not. They're not outside the community center. They're just no, not cleaning yet. up a random lot. That's right. Like what? Are you, what? Like what are they doing? Yeah, I don't know. Just being good Samaritans and cleaning up a public space. Right. Um, so Kelly shows up. She says she misses Ozone and immediately kisses him on the lips. Right. So something that was very unclear for me in this movie is we are led to believe that these people are so close, but at the same time they haven't seen each other in a while. Even though they live in the same city. It's a little weird. Yeah. I mean, it's clear that there's, like, some sort of emotional distance between them. Right. I mean, I'm sure we're putting more thought into this than the writers did, but... Now, how do you think Kelly got her nickname Special K in this movie? (laughs) Right? Because all the kids called her Special K. All the kids called her Special K. Do you think she's dealing Special K (laughs) on the side? Maybe that was explained in Breaking One. Oh, really? Oh. Or then she just loves a sensible cereal in the morning. Oh, is that what we're calling it? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So all the kids run up to Special K, and um, we break into a rap for one of the many dance numbers that happen in this movie. Would you call this movie a musical? Oh, this is definitely a musical. Yeah. There's definitely more dancing than singing. 
That's for sure. Um, now, the dancing and singing doesn't necessarily have to move the plot forward, but I feel in some instances the dancing really does move things forward well, because there was really no other plot to move forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this instance, they go, hey, Kelly, we're going to show you the recreation center. So they all dance off to the recreation center. Um, and as they're dancing down the street, pretty much everybody's dancing. The police are dancing. The construction workers are dancing. The, the gardeners are dancing. The meter maid. The meter maid is dancing. The telephone repairman. <laughs> the ter- telephone repairman is gyrating on the telephone pole. Right. Is this showgirl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are grandmothers dancing. Well, they're clearly like young women who are dressed up to be grandmothers. Right. And one right. of the grandmothers does my least favorite dance move of all time. Which is Which what? is an air guitar mixed with a high kick. Oh, I love that <laughs> dance move. <laughs> I just think it takes a special person to pull it off. Oh, well, you haven't seen me do that. Clearly. <laughs> um, so, the group dances over to an outdoor stage where a beautiful... Latinx girl is dancing mm. and clearly Turbo's really into her. Turbo's Turbo's. Yes. Absolutely. Um and that's that's his love interest. Um I learned her name was Lucia. I did not know that until I looked it up I on IMDB. Just is now. her name ever mentioned? Her name is never mentioned. Um we'll get more into the relationship as we as we get there. What relationship? Exactly. <laughs> um, but she's his love interest, question mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ozone, Turbo, and Kelly end up at the community center with this big group. They're always in a large group, pretty much, right. in this movie. Um, and the tour guide at the community center is a mime, but his name is also Magician. So that's just layers of confusing. I mean, first of all, this is my love interest. <laughs> right? I love a good pantomime. <laughs> you have stated this prior, yes. <laughs> all that popping and locking. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, there's dance classes going on at the community center. There's boxing happening. Uh, we meet Byron, who is the older gentleman who runs the place. Um and there's a another there's a dance off scene immediately following. It's another that. montage. Yes, um, there's just a lot of dancing and montages in this film. Um, we're just killing time. Um, but I'll take this moment to say that I really love break dancing. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, if you don't like break dancing, I don't know if you're alive. Yeah. There's just some something so hypnotic about it. It's like watching a lava lamp. That's, whoa. Oh, that's an interesting thought. The lava lamp of dances. Wow. I guess (laughs) that lava is just so loose in the lamp, it just sort of flops around. But yet it's so pointed in its direction. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about, because now that I think about it, breakdancing is very rigid in a lot of ways. That's true. Maybe, like, a lava lamp dance is kind of like those, like, floppy men that are, like, blow-ups at the car at the, oh, car, yes. at the, at the uh, car dealership. Absolutely. That's like a lava lamp dance, right? Absolutely, yeah. But I feel like that's also a move in breakdancing. <laughs> okay, yeah. I see it. I mean, breakdancing is basically anything you want to make it into. 
Oh, I love that. I love that attitude. I love that that viewpoint on life. <laughs> so, um, we cut. They're dancing. We cut outside where an evil businessman is um, eyeing the site, and he's insistent that he takes it. We find out later that he wants to build a shopping center on that site. I feel like at one point they say mall and one point they say grocery store. <laughs> and then another point they say shopping center. Well, which yeah. maybe it's maybe it's everything. They did not have time to read the script over. It must be a one-stop shop. Yeah. Ooh, absolutely. <laughs> maybe I'm in maybe I'm in support of this this venture. <laughs> um so then Ozone offers Kelly a job teaching at the community center. Um, we then, of course, cut to a dance class montage of the song Dindada. I love this song. And everybody knows Dindada. Um, it's that Dindada, 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 Dindada. Um, it's been sampled a million times. The best. And um, then we cut to a scene um, in a city government office where the zoning committee is talking. And we learned that the community center building, um, also known as Miracles, is structurally unsound. And um, it looks like they do want to move forward with building the shopping center. I mean, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, that woman with the curly mullet. Yeah. I thought that she was going to be supportive. Absolutely. She seems, she seems she has a heart. Yeah, she seems... But, but she's all for, like, oh, it's unsound. It's structurally unsound. Tear it down. Yeah. Get rid of it. But then she said, where do all the kids go? <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't seem that concerned about where the kids are going to go. No. Um, so then we cut to a nightclub scene. Um, the girls at the nightclub clearly do not like Kelly. Uh, we're, we'll get more into that later. Why do you think that it... Well, okay, we'll get into it. We'll no, get no, into it later. Because Ozone, the what main girl, Rhonda, is into Ozone. Well, yes. But also, I feel like it's racial, too. True. Right? Because she's essentially she's rich, the white, the which, rich white person yeah, from Beverly Hills that yeah. comes into the... There's a race thing and community there's a class need. thing happening. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Even though I felt like most of the kids in the community center were white... <laughs> Yeah. And I, I think it was just how they were casting the extras. That, no, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I uh, mean, especially those two little white girls. Yes. <laughs> right? I, I did not write anything in regards to the precocious children in this movie because I really do not like precocious children. Oh. Then <laughs> <laughs> you must have not liked me as a child. <laughs> um, so I just like kind of ignored them being there. Right. Um, so we're in the nightclub. Ozone is wearing a Confederate cap with like a white foxtail on it. Yes, a Confederate cap. I felt like it was like a little like a Confederate it looked like a, or like a Civil cap. War. It, yes. it wasn't from the Confederacy. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. Or do you mean like a Davy Crockett type thing? No, I do not mean Davy Crockett. It look. I don't know. I it looked. <laughs> My reference point was Confederate cap. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. <laughs> so then um, we meet the Electro... Okay, they're called the Electro Rock, 
but they're referred to as the Electros, and they are the rival gang, the rival breakdancing troupe of the community center, I want to say. They're yeah. like Ozone and Turbo's rivals, and their names are Electro Rock. They're basically anti-community. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're it, like the grunge breakdancers. Exactly. Right? And they're not violent, because they only breakdance, but... No. I mean, they're, they remind me a lot of, like... The Lost Boys. Yeah. They're a secondary villain in this movie. True. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although there's no there's no satisfying payoff later. No. Um, so they threaten our heroes um, that they are in charge. Um, and that's really all there is to that. Um, then we cut. We watch this on Tubi. I mean, this movie's available on Tubi, everybody. Um, we cut God to bless a, Tubi. We cut to a series of commercials about electric cars, which I was like, did they just take the word electric from Electric Boogaloo and like generated a bunch of commercials about cars? 100%. I mean, why do you think I watch all those Italian movies and get Barilla <laughs> Pasta Sauce commercials? <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, okay, so then we cut to Byron telling Ozone that he received a letter that Miracles is in a condemned building and they need $200,000 to save it. Um, Ozone then goes to the city commissioner's office in his best angle earring and uh, <laughs> we find out that they have a 30-day grace period to raise that money. $200,000. $200,000. How are the kids going to do it? Well, let me tell you. There's a montage of them trying to raise the money. They got a car wash going. Ooh. They have a lemonade stand. Ooh. One of the girls is doing street caricatures. Did you see the little kids selling maps to the stars? <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one because I was, of course, writing very uh, fervently and the montage was going very quickly. Oh, so then you missed all the mime work. <laughs> no, no, I, I never missed the mime work. <laughs> the mime work was all very present for me during this film. <laughs> um, but despite their best efforts, the kids only make $7,000. And then Turbo suggests that they organize a street festival. So that's kind of our driving force. Um, for the rest of the movie? For the rest of the movie. I mean, you got to put on a show. That's the definition of a musical. <laughs> no, seriously. You got to put on a show. Yeah. In film school, that was like, um, when I took a class on musicals, they were like, one of the themes of like American musicals in, in film is we're putting on a show. That was like the Fred Astaire type thing. It was always putting on a show. Yeah. This movie is like so quintessential because that like, the like ragtag group versus the evil businessman, it's so... It's very formulaic, but it's also very, I don't know, just a concept that always works. Yeah. Um, so we cut to Kelly at a very formal dinner with Stanley, who we presume is her agent. And she is up for the lead dancer in a show in Paris. And I just love how, how generic that is. They don't give us any more details on that. They just say lead dancer in a show in Paris. Do they dance in Paris? I mean, I've been to the Moulin Rouge. Oh. And they dance there. Pardon topless. Moi. To no. <laughs> topless. Yes. Topless. Pardon moi. Um, so we, um, we cut to Ozone and 
the girl that likes him, Rhonda, and she's flirting with him. But then Kit Kelly arrives, and there's this, you know, awkwardness, and Rhonda leaves. Um, Kelly arrives to Miracles. She tells Ozone about her opportunity, um, and they're starting to talk about it, but then Electro Rock throws a spray can through the window, and a chase down the street begins. And, of course, they have a dance-off underneath a bridge. I love it. Um, this scene I is love it. so good. I love it. <laughs> because they're fighting, but the choreography is all dance fighting. So they're, like, really intensely punching at one another, but not actually hitting each other. They're just kind of dancing around each other's movements. It's like Beyonce doing a tick fight. <laughs> right? Yes. Don't you love it when she does a tick fight? Yes. A tick, 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 tick fight. Tick, tick, tick. Tick, tick, fight. I wonder if Beyonce's seen Break Into Electric. She has to have. (laughs) Like, there's no question about it. I want a whole Beyonce concept album based on this movie. (laughs) Oh my god, Beyonce, if you're listening, please. Please. Electric 2 Boogaloo. (laughs) Um, Lemonade 2 Electric. Oh my god, stop it. You need to stop. (laughs) Lemonade 2. Um... And then the Electra... Okay, so in this dance sequence, the Electras have nunchucks, and then our heroes um, have garbage pail lids. <laughs> so they're, like, dancing at each other with these props, of course, using them in their dance moves. Um, and we're led to believe that our heroes win, even though there's no clear indication that they won. No, I mean, just the Electro Rocks leave in, like, some sort of ratty car yeah they're junky old convertible <laughs> junky conver- that looked like a like it came straight out of like some sort of junkyard yeah i loved it but then it was like artistfully spray painted mm, beautiful pimp, and that's how we know that my they ride rise. before pimp my ride <laughs> um so then we cut back to the evil businessman who we, we find out his name douglas mm. and his architect surveying the land um And he tells one of the breakdancing kids that he plans to build a supermarket. Um, The kid runs to Byron, Ozone, and the gang, and they have kind of a verbal altercation, um, really moving the plot forward, building on this rivalry. Um, We cut to Turbo checking out his chest in a mirror. Um, (laughs) And then Ozo suggests to Turbo that they make up some new dance moves. But Rhonda, the girl from earlier who's into Ozone, um, kind of interrupts them and wants to steal him away from Kelly. Um, Turbo leaves. He decides to go back to that outdoor stage where Lucia is dancing. Um, and I have to say about this that stage sequence, there were a lot of moments that reminded me of Sweet Charity, like a Bob Fosse, like where their head, like their foreheads are like touching each other. And they're kind of doing like a fake punching. Oh, it's a total like rich man's frog, like Bob Fosse moment. But it also is a crossover with La Bamba. Oh. There was some like real Lombaba moments too. Lombada? Lombada. Mbada. Mbada. <laughs> <laughs> no, La Bamba. <laughs> Dindada. Lombada. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so the girl then flirts with Turbo in Spanish, and why don't we just why don't we say now that she does not speak English at all? You know what's funny? 
is what? I read that she actually does not speak Spanish. <laughs> that they dubbed her. Yeah. So, they dubbed her Spanish. So it's it's really <coughs> sad, and, and t- it would be seen as so terrible now. They dub all of her lines with a Spanish-speaking actress, but it's this very cartoony... It's like Princess Peach speaking Spanish. Either that, yes, or what I'm reminded of is the Adam Sandler stand-up comedy album mm-hmm. where he's like, and now the beating of a Spanish teacher. Hola, como estas? Do you remember that? Did you Vague, ever listen to that album? Vague. It's horrible, it's racist, but the way that... It, 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 it's almost as if Adam Sandler did her voice. Speaking yes. Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> that I guess that's what so I'm trying to get at. Apt. Yes, <laughs> that's the perfect way to put it. Um, so then she like flirts. So the girl flirts with Turbo and then a large man in a Hawaiian shirt explains to him that she likes him, thinks that he's sexy. I think you got sex appeal. (laughs) (laughs) And then he should go dance with her, but then he doesn't. Yeah. And if there's any, any area of his life that Turbo should feel confident in, it's dancing. Well, Right, and so I don't know what what that what that block is in that moment. Yeah, that's not clear. Not at all. They should have refined that piece of the narrative. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote this very quickly. <laughs> um, so back at home, then Turbo wants girl advice from Ozone. So of course he didn't. He couldn't have gotten with her yet because we needed to have this scene. That's and true. this is a great scene. Um, he teaches Turbo how to smoothly approach a girl. And they have this weird doll in their house that looks just like Kelly. Like Midwestern mom haircut. And oh, all. yeah. And Turbo tries to flirt with the doll, and he doesn't do very well. So Ozan then just like starts randomly dancing with it, um, being like, hey, let me show you how to treat, a, treat a lady. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then he's dancing with the doll, and he sees the doll as being Kelly. But then Turbo sees the doll as being Lucia. So we get this back and forth which with each of them dancing with the doll and each seeing the doll as the girl that they like and getting jealous of the other one dancing with the girl that they like. I love this sequence. <laughs> I really, really love this sequence. It's fabulous. It's confusing. <laughs> so confusing. Right? Because then like, they... They tear the doll apart, and instead of getting upset, they just, like, start dancing with each other. It turns into a homo moment, <laughs> right? Like, yo, bro, no homo. Yeah. Oh, let's dance together. Yeah. And one of the best, I just, this movie is so, like, it's supposed to take place in the real world, but because of its musicalness, there's just moments where it's completely separate from reality. Yes. <laughs> it's completely... I keep thinking about the entire film, and I'm like, the entire film is separated from reality. Yes. <laughs> um, so, and we should explain that this is one of those, like, giant... It's like a... It's one of those giant dolls that were popular at the time that's, like, the size of... It's the size of a person. They were popular at the time? <laughs> In 1984, these dolls? But they have, like, a... Pla- I don't know. I remember girls having these these similar dolls when I was a kid. This is, like, a large, plush doll, but with, like, a plastic head. Kind of like 
like a like a my buddy or a kid sister, <laughs> yes. but like larger. I don't know about you, Chris, but when in the circles I used to hang out with, people had giant, creepy sex doll type looking things. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on, shall we? No, let's keep talking about that. I'm so fascinated. So we cut to Kelly at an auditorium wearing this high-waisted unitard with, like, a fringed back, and she's wearing a diamond necklace. I'm so jealous because I want this outfit. <laughs> I honestly really want this outfit. I mean, if she, it, I mentioned Moulin Rouge earlier. It looks like an outfit you would see in, like, a very, like a burlesque, bordering on stripper. I, yes, I was going to say definitely burlesque, but also it could have been in that S&M sequence in Showgirls. Absolutely. <laughs> Ooh, I sh- we should write a movie that's um, the world that crosses the paths of Nomi, Malone, and Special K. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. I feel like the internet would blow up. It honestly would love that. Breaking three, Showgirls two. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then Kelly leaves the auditorium with Stanley, and this is the first time that we see her wearing handcuffs as a belt. All of her fashions, I'm in love with, but that choice, yes, of handcuffs as a belt is something that I'm going to start incorporating tomorrow <laughs> at work as soon as you can. <laughs> so. And the greatest thing is that she's leaving this audition and she's dressed very, like, business casual, but she's topping it off with handcuffs as a belt. I mean, nothing says business on top and serious party in the bottom <laughs> with handcuffs as your belt. So um, we cut to Kelly's parents' house and her dad is mad at her life choices, which we, which is his, his storyline in this Whose dad isn't? Right! Um, and as her mom does calisthenics, so just another scene of the the parents being disappointed with her. Um, Kelly and Ozone take a walk in the park. She's still wearing the belt handcuffs, but a completely different outfit. Um, Kelly says they should ask her dad for the money, so clearly she doesn't know him very well. (laughs) She's, like, not considering her relationship with him at all, considering that all he does is be mad at her and her life choices, especially hanging out with the breakdancers. Right. And he only wants to pay for her to go to Princeton. Exactly. He so why is he going to pay for He doesn't even support else? the Paris and the, like, oh, dancer yeah. lifestyle. No. Go to Princeton. Um, so Kelly Ozan and Turbo show up to Kelly's family home. And um, Kelly's mom introduces herself. Um, she's, she's doing that, like, upper crust, nice but bitchy thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then a guy named Derek shows up, and Kelly's mom introduces him as Kelly's fiancé, even though Kelly's insistent to Ozone that he's not her fiancé. That moment was so weird. Very weird. Very weird She's like, Mom, I don't even like him. Yeah. But is he your fiancé? Or is he not? I mean, and it's it's not like we didn't have enough, like, foils in this scene, because we already had her parents. So I yeah. don't know why we needed this whole other character, only to prove that Callie really does not communicate with her family very well. Clearly. I mean, he does not bring any sort of conflict. To the <laughs> not at all. 
Um, so then at the dinner table, um, it seems that they're eating tomato soup with calamari. And meatballs. Did you <laughs> see the meatball? It was like a big giant meatball in one of them. <laughs> <laughs> calamari and meatballs, my favorite. Doesn't it sound good? Um, and then, of course, Turbo um, feeds it to the cat. Right. Um, so Kelly, Ozone, and Turbo tell Kelly's dad about the community center. Um, but he says he's not going to give his money to people like them. They mismanage their money. They're going to spend it on drugs and clothes and cars. Arrogant riffraff. Yes. Um, the racism is strong in this film. Oh, yeah. Um, so Ozone and Turbo leave, but not before doing a dance move with the dinner roll. That moment was so great. <laughs> And it was synchronized. It was yeah. like they were synchronized dinner roll dancers. We should practice that later. Oh, I would love so that. So we can leave public events by flicking a dinner roll. <laughs> um, so the next day in the park, Kelly apologizes to Turbo about the situation in her family home. Did you notice what she was wearing? Uh, tell us, please. A electric blue zebra top. <laughs> <laughs> Obsessed. You're going to wear that with your um, handcuffs. Handcuffs, absolutely. And your teal tims. You better believe it. My teal tims are making an appearance with uh, with an electric blue zebra For top. those of you who don't know, Chris Lane owns a pair of teal Timbaland boots. I bought them in New York City. Where else would you buy them? <laughs> the fashion capital of America. That's right. Um, so then Turbo asked Kelly for girl advice. Um, and we immediately cut to Turb uh, the dance sequence where Turbo climbs the walls and dances on the ceiling, uh. which we alluded to earlier, and it's a fantastic scene. It is brilliantly shot. It is brilliantly performed. Um, it's one of the great moments of American cinema. <laughs> I would agree. It's, it's fantastic. Not as good as the hospital sequence later in oh, the movie. We'll, oh, we will oh, get oh, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, this is again, this is supposed to represent that he's in love with this girl, Lucia. Um, the dancer from the park who does not speak English and is voiced by Adam Sandler. <laughs> um, and, I keep thinking and, and of Adam point, Sandler and Jack and Jill. <laughs> Did you did you ever see that movie? No, I don't think anybody saw that oh, movie. Oh, I saw that movie like multiple times <laughs> in the movie theater. I was obsessed. Like Adam Sandler in drag doing like a woman's voice. It was horrible. It all it, it was it was like Adam Sandler starring Alexis Mateo from RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> Bam! <laughs> Oh my god! Sorry, it's a total tangent. That was an amazing tangent. I just really—I mean, I think Jack and Jill is definitely a watch of ours at some (laughs) future episode. You are going to have to to hold me down, open my eyelids like Clockwork Orange style, but I'll be in for it. (laughs) Um. So he has not spoken. Turbo has not spoken to this girl yet, but he's totally in love with her. Yeah. And then she shows up to his place and finds him dancing on the ceiling. And then they start dancing together and kiss, never having spoken before. I mean, she's she has not sp- spoken a lick. No. Right? But they're in love with each other. Right, right, right. I mean, instantly, in that moment. Isn't, isn't that what happened with you and your boyfriend? That's true. 
See? We're not we're not gonna get into all that, but Oh, I'm oh, <laughs> pardon me. <laughs> but there was a tongue in my ear within like two hours of meeting each other. Anyway. <laughs> oh. Um so, clearly they did not have the time for this plot development, um, but the dancing tells us what we need to know. I mean, dancing is its own language. Ooh. Right? Very profound. Mm-hmm. Um, we cut to an iced tea show. Uh, Turbo and Lucia are having a good time there. And then Ozone shows up and talks to Strobe, we learn is the name of the leader of Electro Rock. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> You're like looking at me about Strobe and I just don't even know what to say. <laughs> Wait, so many great names. That actor also had a fun name in real life. Was it Sugarloaf? Sugarfoot. Oh, Sugarfoot. Yeah, I, I, wrote, I wrote down Sugarfoot. I, I, I loved it. Strobe, a.k.a. Sugarfoot. Um, and they have this little confrontation and he tells Ozone, don't lay the jive on me, man. Mm. This tells you all you need to know. Mm-mm. Um, and then there's somebody in a creepy baby mask dancing on the dance floor. And that baby mask, he was the baby's like slightly injured in the head. <laughs> yeah. Did you see that? It's unfortunate. There's like a there's like an open wound on the head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, I mean, I think it's a Halloween mask. It's supposed oh, to be. Oh, you think so? Yeah. <laughs> you think that's a Halloween mask, Crystal? It's not I from like tell. it's not from like Lover's Lane. <laughs> um and it's funny because last week we did Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which also had dogs and creepy baby masks. So I'm, Ooh, I'm surprised nice. that creepy baby masks are now making a repeat appearance. Now, do you remember what happened in Cage Heat too? No. Remember those me. weird masks when that bank ro- that at that bank robbery? Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we keep watching movies of people in masks. It's true. Maybe masks are campy. I, I think they are. Um, so, uh, Kelly tells Ozone on the dance floor that she doesn't know what she wants to do, and he's upset with her, because obviously he wants her to stay, um, with the community center, stay with him, um, and I really do not like this dynamic between these two characters, because I want her to be, like, strong, a strong, independent woman who just makes the decision for herself, like, mm. follows what she wants to do. But she just wants to hear from him that he wants her to stay. I mean, it's 1984. What do you yeah. expect? But I want her not to need no, that validation not. Of from course him. Not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so then Kelly's upset. She runs off. Rhonda, the girl from earlier, confronts her and threatens her to stay away. So then Kelly immediately goes to a payphone and takes the job dancing in Paris. That's how I got my last job. <laughs> Went straight to the payphone. <laughs> I hope you called collect. Uh, you better believe it. I'm not paying for that. Um, so in the next scene, Kelly is out shopping with her mom, but she's longingly watching a group of kids breakdancing on the sidewalk. And her mom's like, well, you won't even think about all that when you're in Paris. Where was that even shot? That it was like, was that supposed to be like Rodeo Drive or like Larchmont? Where was that? It felt it, a little more Larchmont. It, it felt me. Larchmont, but it was like supposed to be high, like a high-end shopping Correct. area. And then there were just like break dancers. <laughs> Correct. I mean, that seems a little convenient. 
Right. I, you just reminded me of the greatest scene that I ever witnessed with my own eyes. This was in Chicago, um, the Uptown neighborhood. And something you have to know about Uptown, it is the highest concentration of methadone clinics in Chicago. Oh. And I saw this amazing fight between two people happening on the street, um, this verbal argument. But then, like, a couple feet away from them, there was a group of break dancers, and these two people completely broke off their fight because they got so distracted by the break dancers. Stop it. See? Break dancing brings people together. It does. I mean, this it's life imitating art. Oh, I love it. So, um, where were we? So Ozone puts up a sign on the side of Miracles that says SOS, Save Our Streets. Oh. And this, of course, just turns into another dance number. He's dancing on the roof for a while. Um, he's also now, now he's wearing the handcuffs as the belt. And he looks like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> yes, he does look like Freddy Krueger. Right? He's got this like red and black striped shirt with zippers on it. He's got the Freddy Krueger hat. He's got some like fingerless gloves. Right? What do you even yeah. call those gloves that have no fingers? I don't know. Fingerless gloves. Fingerless gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Cat scratch gloves? What are those? I don't know what those One, are. One, two, Freddy is Shabadoo. <laughs> oh my god. So, um, then he's dancing, and then all of a sudden the mime shows up. And then. <laughs> Thank god, I was waiting for the mime. Yeah. So we like keep cutting back to Ozone dancing on the roof, and then he points down, and then every time he points down, the crowd outside grows bigger. Mm. And, um,. There's also a stunt where he, like, jumps off the building and then, like, jumps on a flagpole and climbs down the flagpole or whatever. Just like Mario. Just like Mario. Um, but it's clearly a stunt double. Not the most egregious use of a stunt double. We'll get there. Oh, yeah. Um, but basically this group keeps forming outside of Miracles and they turns into the protest um, that they are going to march to City Hall. Actually filmed in... LA City Hall. Yeah, that looked like City Hall to me. Um, And they go to City Hall and they fight for how important the community center is for the kids, keeping them off the streets. But unfortunately, they didn't raise the money in time, so they lose their bid. And the construction of the shopping center is going to continue. Sad. Um, So then Ozone and the group uh, confront the evil businessman Douglas, um, promising to get the community center back. Um, in the next scene, the kids are, like, sitting outside the community center. Turbo dance fights with some architects, or, and then steals their lunchbox. So he's running, and they chase him down the street, but he trips and falls down the stairs. And this is the moment where the stunt double is conservatively three times larger than, um, Boogaloo Shrimp. Yes. I mean, his name is Boogaloo Shrimp. He's a, he's a small guy. <laughs> and this guy is how big? I said conservatively three times larger. <laughs> so you're saying he's not a shrimp? No. So if you enjoy bad stunt double work, check out this scene. <laughs> now wait, would he be like a jumbo shrimp? <laughs> one of my favorite oxyhorons. <laughs> so Turbo ends up in the hospital. 
and Kelly decides to put her dancing career on hold. She's not going to Paris She's anymore. She's not going to Paris anymore. Ugh. She was shaken by this whole situation. She's a good friend. Um, That's special, Kay. She's real <laughs> special. So then they're all at the hospital, and um, his girlfriend, like, Turbo's girlfriend, Lucia, comes out of the cabinet, and everyone's like, how'd she get in the cabinet? And it's never spoken about again. It's like, what's in the basket? Yeah. <laughs> Except, what's in the cabinet? Um, and like we said, she's, she, this is the scene where she starts talking more and it's upsetting because again, she sounds like Adam Sandler. Uh, <laughs> so then Ozan and Kelly's put on stethoscopes and a dance sequence breaks out in the hospital. And this is the best scene in the movie it's by far. So... Good. <laughs> Can we just, like, go over what... I, I feel like we should explain what happens in this dance montage in a hospital. Yeah. First of all, a dance sequence in a hospital. Comedy ensues. Comedy always. Comedy ensues. Everything happens. Because you know what is not... doesn't go together? Dancing and sick people. That That is correct. <laughs> Especially crippled people, too. Um, so I think I think I would be remiss if we did not start with the fact that there were four very sexy nurses um, dancing. Strippers. Stri stripper nurses. Oh, nurses. Strippers? Yeah. Nurses. <laughs> Strippers. <laughs> um, and they... They dance with patients who have various ailments, various levels of assistive devices, from wheelchair uh, to a rolling walker to crutches. A cane. A cane. And whenever they dance with one of the patients, the patient then starts to be able to break dance. Wow. You know, if I ever get sick or, like, injure a leg or whatever, I really hope those nurses come by. Yes. I just want to leap out of my wheelchair like some of those people did. Do a flip over with the with the with walker the, with the walker uh, um of course there's one there's one fat nurse that's used for comedy who's like n mad about it at first but then she gets into it and realizes it's fun <laughs> i feel like every every movie with a dance sequence has a fat lady enjoying the dance sequence well that's right that's right <laughs> what about bernice from cage teeth although there was no dance sequence but there's always like that that angry fat person. Yes. Right? Who's like, hey, you're not supposed to be having fun here. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it is problematic because it's sizist. They're using horrible. an overweight person for comedy. But we also have to remember the era that these movies were made and what kind of movies these are. But it's also kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and therein lies our podcast. <laughs> um... So, then, okay, so then we cut to a patient who's flatlining, and then the sur the sexy nurses pop in, the surgeons start to dance, they start to pop and lock. That one doctor who witnessed his patient die, he starts convulging. He starts, <laughs> when he sees the nurses, he starts getting really excited, <laughs> right? Well, doesn't grief make people horny? I get... I mean, I guess so. I don't know. I, 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 that that um, did not happen to me. <laughs> so, 
Um, the, miraculously, the man comes back to life, of course. How did that even happen? I don't know. All I, the wanted him, him. I wanted him to get out of bed and start dancing, but he kind of just shimmies in his bed. <laughs> Wouldn't you do if you just <laughs> <Yes>. died? <laughs> if you had just died, the, the best thing you could do was probably just shimmy. <laughs> shimmy. You know what? There are some nights where I feel like the best thing I can do right now, it's just shimmy. <laughs> I think... I'd like to set a challenge for all of our listeners. When you get out of bed in the morning, think about how grateful you are to be alive and just shimmy your shoulders a little bit. I'm going to do it tomorrow morning. <laughs> Report back to me on how that goes. Oh, you'll get a video. <laughs> um, so, and then, and then there's a group of pregnant women dancing. Oh. And they're doing high kicks. I mean, they're, they're ready to pop. <laughs> pop and lock. <laughs> oh my god. So, after we write our uh, Break Into Showgirls crossover, we should write <laughs> we should write a breakdancing pregnant woman movie. I'm, and the tagline would be, they're about to pop dot 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 and, and lock. lock. Oh, I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> okay. So, we cut to Kelly and Ozone. And her dad shows up and is disappointed in Kelly for quitting the Paris job. Ozone stands up to him and um, tells Kelly's dad that they really need her at the community center. So Turbo, we're back at the hospital. Turbo and Lucia uh, sneak out of his hospital room. And they do that classic scene where she dresses up like a nurse or an orderly and he's hiding in the laundry basket. And um, this is my, we went from my favorite scene in the movie to my least favorite scene in the movie where she gets in the elevator and the fat nurse catches her and she goes, no me ingles. Uh. And the nurse goes, when are they going to hire some help that speaks the language? Horrible. Horrible. And then, and then Turbo pops out of the, the basket and does like a Woody Woodpecker laugh. I don't know. I just found everything about this scene it's offensive and problematic and yeah let's move on um so Kelly shows up to miracles with pizzas and Ro- again Rhonda threatens her this dumb little love triangle keeps coming up in this movie and it's like there's no payoff no there's no investment there's I mean it's just like a love triangle for a love triangle yeah, sake exactly um so Rhonda then threatens her to leave. She throws the pizzas. She throws the pizzas. So Kelly retaliates. Rhonda knocks over the pizzas, and then they start to brawl. Um, but of course, the fight is broken up by bulldozers. Um, a sea, the, a, a bu- sea of bulldozers. Like there were like ten. Yeah. Or am I just like making that up? Maybe there were like five. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, there were a lot of bulldozers. But clearly, the bulldozers were important because they were in the synopsis of the film I read. Earlier. That is true. It's it it turned into a bulldozer ballet <gasps> wow didn't it i love that they were so graceful coming in those bulldozers <laughs> well speaking of graceful everybody from miracles starts to dance on the bulldozers to stop them and then the evil businessman douglas yells at the bulldozers to keep going so they do and then all the miracles people get scared off and disperse but then suddenly turbo and lucia show up and they get to the front of the bulldozers, and the evil businessman Douglas is like, just kill him! And 
the the guy, the bulldozer operator, the main the main bulldozer, <laughs> the main bulldozer. He's maybe my favorite, maybe my favorite line reading in the movie. He has one line, and they clearly just just got the guy who operated the bulldozer anyway to read the line. <laughs> and what did he say? I'm not killing the kid. I'm going home. <laughs> So the bulldozer operators just decide to like st- give up on their jobs, stop stop the whole they call the whole thing off. Oh. Um turn around, go home. Um turn around, bulldozer. <laughs> so then the news shows up immediately. Like within seconds, the local news is there. And not just any sort of local news. Oh, our favorite newscaster is there. Howard Howard. <laughs> the newscaster's name is Howard Howard, which tells me this movie has a sense of humor. Like, it's knows, it knows what it is. Wait, you don't know a Howard Howard? I don't know a Howard Howard. Oh, I know, like, 20 Howard Howards. <laughs> <laughs> no, they definitely had a sense of humor about that. I mean, how could you... Like, that's like naming somebody Chris Chris. Yes. But there's Chris no... Chris <laughs> There's no last name of Chris, right? I'm trying to think of, like, another... Like, oh, Johnson Johnson. Yeah. Um, David, David? I don't know. I don't, yeah. We could do this all night. Howard Howard's really good, though. That's a good one. Um, so Mr. Douglas says he's going to pull out of the project. So the news shows up and immediately he has a change of heart. Wouldn't you? <laughs> With all if the I'm publicity? On camera. With Howard Howard? Well, yeah, so he uses this moment to, like, use it as good publicity, So, because clearly he sees that the public is on this side of the community center, so he apologizes. He's got and, a double bottom line. And he's feeling pressured, and then on, he's on camera with Byron, and uh-huh. Byron is like, oh, aren't you going to make a donation? And then they have a little comedic bit, and he agrees to donate um, $10,000. Yeah. Um, so then... Ozone also uses the TV appearance to advertise the charity show. Um, and he goes, there's going to be dancing and juggling. The whole works. And they have to raise $150,000. Yeah. So I love that he chose it, chose to mention dancing and juggling. Because that's, that's you really all you need. <laughs> did you see any juggling? I did not see a single juggler. I mean, maybe that got cut. Maybe got cut. Is is juggling a dance move? <laughs> uh, I feel like it is in is, certain circles. Ju- <laughs> <laughs> like maybe I'm missing the slang. I mean, I was juggling on Thursday night. Oh. On the dance floor. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then we get another performance to Jindada. Because this is a great song. They really got to... Can't have enough of they it. They really got to milk Dindada. Um, the stage is all done up in rainbows. So I'm guessing in 1984, rainbows were not as synonymous with gay pride as they are now. No. I think definitely they were associated with like the 70s and being happy. Right? Yeah, there you go. So many rainbows in the 70s. Absolutely. And um, it's 1984, so the 70s just happened. Yeah. It, they just happened. Um, and everyone's wearing red berets. Yes. Um, then Ice-T comes out and performs. So it's interesting because Ice-T was not famous yet, but he is in both of the break-in movies as a performer. Um, and then we even cut to creepy baby face mask again in the audience. 
He shows up a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> no, wait, did we talk about the chicken mascot guy? <laughs> Not yet. So <laughs> first... Oh, I'm sorry, we haven't gotten to that first, part? First, there's a child impersonating Michael Jackson, which did not age well. No. Then there's a man in a chicken outfit. I said a duck outfit. Either way, it was some bird. There's a man in a large... Howard bird the Duck? Costume. It looks like Howard the Duck? Howard Howard the Duck. Howard Howard. Um, and he's breakdancing. <laughs> and then um, Kelly's parents are watching all this at home, and suddenly they have a change of heart. Because wouldn't a man in a bird costume cause you to have a change of heart about your daughter's future? I mean, most definitely. Anytime a man in a bird outfit shows up, I always have a change of heart. <laughs> <laughs> so the Miracles dancers come out again. Um, Kelly's parents show up and then reconcile with her. Because all of a sudden they decide that they support her life choices. Um, and Dad writes a fat check for $150,000. No, just fifty. Oh, just fifty. Sorry, my dollar sign looks a little bit like a one in my notes. Well, I mean, maybe it was one hundred and fifty. It was 50000 It was fifty. Yeah, I think it was fifty. Um, so this puts the community center at their goal. And we close with basically a music video for Believe in the Beat. I mean, I believe in the beat. And Carol Lynn Towns shows up to sing the song. I was missing her. Roll credits. <laughs> um, so that was Break Into Electric Boogaloo. What a fun movie. It is a fun movie. I think out of all the movies, this is the one that you could most comfortably like watch in mixed company. 100%. Yeah. I and think this is like fun for the whole family. You could watch it anytime. Like I might even watch it Again, after we finish this podcast. Oh, tonight? I mean, maybe. You don't know my <laughs> life. <laughs> so, um, now that we're to it, I think it's time for our final camp analysis. Mm. So, this is the portion of the show where we analyze the film Ford's camp value by answering the three fundamental questions of the podcast. So, let's start with number one. Is this movie campy? Well, what do you think? I think it's absolutely campy. Uh, well, duh. So, I, if if our our listeners couldn't tell by our conversation about this entire movie, it's one hundred percent camp. Yes, from start to finish, from handcuff to handcuff. <laughs> <laughs> so let's discuss what makes this movie campy, and the outfits are clearly one of the things. We're obsessed with the outfits in every movie. We yeah, watch. always fashions. Yeah. Um. I think the fact that it's a musical, yeah, automatic camp. But it's also like it's not. It's not one of those musicals where you feel like something comes over the the characters and all of a sudden they're like put under a spell and they're singing. It the dance numbers feel like they're part. What of movie is that? <laughs> what movie? Where? When does that happen? Hocus Pocus? <laughs> what? <laughs> What movie are you talking about? <laughs> I, I think in I general, watch that movie. in general, the when you're watching a musical, the musical numbers and the spoken dialogue scenes feel very separate from one another. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But and this here, is very fluid. It feels very fluid. Well, that's what I was kind of referring to. Yeah. Like how musical the musical numbers sometimes will drive plot and sometimes they're just kind of like those magical moments where <laughs> where the character feels so inspired and they get yeah. overwhelmed with emotion that they have to sing. 
And there's no real singing here. There's just dancing. Yeah. Right? So I think it can't be because everyone gets so overwhelmed yeah. with emotion and and inspiration that they start breakdancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's campy. Yeah. Breakdancing is also very inherently fun, very silly. Yes. And then when mixed with a plot. Yeah. About them trying to save a community, like a very, like, saccharine, traditional plot of kids trying to save a community center from an evil businessman. It's just, it's over the top. Yeah. And it's funny. And in many ways, it was meant to be extremely serious and entertaining. Yeah. And it is. But it just becomes campy. And I, I mentioned last week about how I kind of see camp as like a funhouse mirror version of something. And this is like, a musical is already a funhouse mirror version of reality. And then you take this movie, which is like, you know, set in the 80s, has breakdancing in it, is, was thrown together within months. There's characters named Turbo. <laughs> and Ozone. Ozone. Strobe. Strobe. Special K. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> All right, so I think we've determined that this movie was camp. Yeah. All right, and then for our third question, so on a scale of zero to five fingers, five fingers also being a fist, how loose was the narrative? Oh, that's such a good question because it feels like the plot is so straightforward mm-hmm. in many ways. So, and it's not, it's, it's, there are a few holes so I want to say it's like maybe one and a half. I would I would agree with the one and a half. I think that the there's a lot of silliness here. There's a lot of nonsense here, but none of it is directly maybe necessarily tied to the plot. No. So it's so we're saying it's a finger and a knuckle. Exactly. We love a finger and a knuckle <laughs> on this show. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so before we wrap up. Let's talk about what camp things we're enjoying outside of this podcast in a segment called Loose Recommendations. Ooh, I love this section. Um, so, I am currently listening to Valley of the Dolls on Audible. It is the 50th anniversary edition narrated by Laverne Cox. What? Yes. And... <laughs> I was I was weary because I read the reviews. I mean, no, I purchased the book first because I was like, yes, immediately. But then I started reading the reviews, which is always a mistake um, when it comes to any fine piece of art, like the movies we watch on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of negative reviews about... Uh, Laverne Cox's performance saying that she's like the wrong choice for this and they didn't like Hmm. her lispy voice. And to that I say, if you do not understand why Laverne Cox and her like husky voice is like the perfect choice for Valley of the Dolls, it is such a camp choice because she has this like grand dame like um like Catherine Hepburn type quality to the way she speaks that that really fits the book for me personally. Wow. I <laughs> first of all, I didn't even know any of this. Second of all, Valley of the Dolls is one of my favorite books. Yeah. 
I mean, any book by Jacqueline Suzanne is one is a favorite of yeah. mine. But now I really need to download this on yeah. Audible and take a listen. You get to listen to Laverne talk for 17 hours. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm going to have to do that. I can't wait. All right, Chris, do you have a loose recommendation for us? Um, I mean, my loose recommendation is real loose. I have just constantly, I can't stop listening to the group Black Box. Ooh, I don't know Black Box. Oh, Tell yes, you more. do. Yes, you do. They, they have songs like Everybody, Everybody. Everybody, 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 everybody. And then also Strike It Up. Strike It Up. This hell is gonna break my tune. You're just Strike saying the title with a musical. Yeah. Did they do and then also, No, I wish. No. But then also Right on Time, which is used in one of my favorite montages of all time from The Cutting Edge. Maybe my second favorite. The Cutting Edge, the Michelle Trachtenberg ice skating movie? Yes. So there's a whole warm-up, like, training sequence. And and Black Box's song, Right on Time, is utilized. Amazing. And it's phenomenal. But the entire album by Black Box, one of their, I think it's just called Everybody, Everybody, is fantastic. And also, there's, there's a hinge of, like, Millie Vanilli with Black Box because... Martha Walsh is actually the singer, but there was some sort of French model used in all of the music videos of course. as like the lead singer. Yeah. And so that part is also fascinating. Which also happened with CNC Music Factory. CNC Music Factory, yep. And also Millie Vanilli. I mean, using yeah. other Millie pe- and Vanilli. Millie, Millie. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Um, anyway, I love Black Box. Their music is fantastic. They also do some sort of cover of Earth, Wind, and Fire's Fantasy. Which is a mashup has a mashup of Lavian Rose by Grace Jones. Ooh, it's divine. Okay, I'm going to put Black Box in one AirPod and <laughs> and Valley of the Dolls narrated by Laverne Cox in the other. That sounds like an ear orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think it's time to wrap up. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at Loose Narrative Podcast. Please slide into those DMs if you have any comments, questions, concerns. Um, I will say if you're going to slide into the DMs, give us some lube. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our narrative may be loose, but our inbox isn't. Um, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So, my name is at Kapakula on Instagram. And my Instagram handle is at Topher Lane, T O P H E R L A N E. And um, as always, thank you so much to Ben Brucker for doing our music. You can find him at benbrucker.com. Um, please subscribe to our podcast. Please leave us a five star review, it will really help us get things going. And yeah, that's all I have. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, guys. Bye. Ta ta.